Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. My guest today is Dave Moore, a digital advertising entrepreneur and executive who has spent over four decades at the intersection of media, technology, and advertising. Today, Dave serves as chairman of the board of Sports Biz Group, in addition to mentoring entrepreneurs of growing companies. And today, Dave and I will talk about leadership and all that is needed to be a great leader today. And he has some incredible stories to share with us. So let's get excited for that. Uh, with that, I want to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Dave Moore. Hello, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, I'm 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 thrilled that you you agreed to be part of the podcast because uh full disclosure, you uh my brother Mark worked with you at a company called 24/7 Media uh in back in the day and um you know, one of the things he always shared with me is that you know a, another Dave Moore story about how he pivoted and twisted and turned and and kind of guided the company through some really choppy waters back in the day. He said, you know, he always he always landed on his feet. So I said, you know, I'd love to do a leadership podcast with him. So uh, I'm I'm glad that you're you're able to join us today. Well, I will tell you that your your brother, who was the general counsel of my company, um, uh, was the trusted colleague that I had within 24-7. And it, while it's a remarkable story of how we thrived and then had to survive and finally had a very nice exit, um, I couldn't have done it without him. It's interesting because in our house, I'm I'm one of seven, right? Six boys and a girl. We always knew him as Fredo. <laughs> uh, did he like that name? <laughs> Anytime I get to bust the chops of family and close friends on air, I I, I try. <laughs> so I'm sure Mark is going to listen to this. We, no, we didn't call him Fredo, but it was funny nonetheless. Um, all right, so well, let's let's start with this. Let I'd love to, you know, I've had a lot of people on the podcast that describe their leadership styles. You know, it seems like different people have different styles and and that work for them. How would you describe your leadership style? Well, I always thought that you needed to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would take the lead on a lot of different projects to um, do them to the best of my ability mm-hmm. and set an example for how I thought things ought to get done. Um, I also was a big fan of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, consensus is very difficult to achieve as a CEO, but collaboration, I think, is a better way to talk about getting the input from everybody. And while many people were very positive about my ideas, strategies, and people that weren't so mm-hmm. excited about them. And while it was difficult to listen to them, um, I certainly appreciated it. And it, it, to a certain extent, homogenized 
a strategy for the better because it incorporated the input of many. Mm-hmm. Now, in every case as a CEO, you have to make some difficult decisions and you weigh the input that you get from all your colleagues and then you make the decision and you go forward and you do it in a way that um, everybody appreciates that they've had some input. They understand that they may not have come out with the, the women's winning strategy, but uh, they feel, feel good about being part of the process. Now, was that always your leadership style or did you did you see it evolve over the course of your career? I think things evolve because when I started in the business of, at that time, television advertising, I was a salesman. That's how yeah. I started. And so my, my pedigree over the years of my career was working my way up through sales to managing it, to being the chief revenue officer, to then getting a shot of being a CEO but I never lost that that pedigree. However, that pedigree tends to be optimistic, enthusiastic, glass is always half full. Um, And as a result, I think my style evolved where I had to temper some of that Mm -hmm. uh, somewhat uh, because you can lose track of reality with unbridled uh, optimism and enthusiasm. Yeah. Well, people on your team think, wow, maybe he's not really seeing what we're seeing, right? He shouldn't be this optimistic and enthusiastic. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. That that it, it almost becomes um, he's lost the sense of reality. Yeah. And you certainly don't want that <laughs> to happen when you're the CEO of a company, no matter how big or or large or small it is. Well, it, it's funny then 24-7 media must have been your master class, right? In in leadership. So your your time there, it was it was definitely filled with highs and lows. I got to to witness that through my brother. But you eventually sold the company for $649 million. So how, I, I can't remember the, the time frame. I wrote it down, but how long were you the CEO of 24-7 Media? And and how did you successfully navigate? Because that was really a rocky time in the dot-com world. How did you navigate all of those twists and turns? Well, one of the things that you learn in life is that life is not a very straight line up and to the right Um there are peaks and valleys, it's part of the journey, if you will. And the key to, um, I think, successfully navigating those valleys is the confidence that you will be able to get out of that valley and get back to a peak again. Yeah. And um, that's not easy to do. And it takes a lot of mental perseverance. Um, it takes the confidence that you can um, do the things that will um, create a positive return to a more normal state. Now, at uh, 24-7, when we started the company, it was a merger of three different companies. Wow. And there was a president yeah. of each of those two companies. 
And I became the CEO primarily because I was the one that had raised the money. Right? <laughs> the but golden you can imagine rule. That there was an unusual dynamic because now I have two guys who were running their own little boutique operations that were combining with us to form 24-7 in early or late 1997. And that required what I would call a lot of, of uh, finesse mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as well as a straightforward understanding of each other's roles and how we were going to work together going forward. That's really difficult, what you just described, because in 1997, it was the Wild West of, of the Internet, and there wasn't a well-charted path you know, say, okay, this is this is the direction that we need to go, and this is the path. This is where people have had success before. So it was difficult enough for one company, but here you are merging three companies together, and different cultures, different operating systems, different you know uh, um, uh, approaches to the business. So, what were some of the, I guess? inflection points of where you said, okay, this is this is working. We're, we're, we're moving in the right direction because you probably had a couple of dead ends when you started. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting when you said culture hmm. because that was a, a big issue with the, the merger. I mean, one of the companies, when I went over to their offices and we were talking about them merging with us, you know, I stepped in a dog turd and and kicked over a, a, a bowl of dog food in, in, in the office, right? And it was, there was wires hanging out of the ceilings and everything else. And it was like one big kumbaya, if you will, within that organization. And when we merged the companies, uh, three of their salespeople resigned within one month. Mm. The reason why is they didn't want to do sales activity reports. Okay. They didn't feel that they needed to report on their comings and goings and their progress with various accounts. So part of the process when you put three companies together like that is you've got to weed out the people, and some of them will do it on their own, uh, that want to be part of the new organization. And that took us probably three or four months to do. The good news is that we had a a, a very good strategy. And the two companies that we merged with had similar businesses to ours. So the, the combination of all three of them gave us scale. So we launched the company. We raised $10 million of venture capital. And we launched it right at the beginning of 1998. And in February... I've got bankers knocking on my door telling me that we can go public. Mm. One of our competitors, DoubleClick, had gone public right around February. And they said, you're next. You're, you can do this. Now, this totally surprised me because my whole dream when these companies were put together was just to have a profitable company that everybody could participate and you know, we'd like to go on picnics together as much as we like to work together. I mean, this is kind of how I was thinking. And all of a sudden, we got Merrill Lynch and J.P. Morgan and Allen and & Company and Payne Weber and Oppenheimer. They all want to take us public. Mm. We went public. 
in August of, of uh, 1998, stock went up to, I think, about uh, $21 the first day. I mean, it was it was almost uh, surreal, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. But that changed then. That had to change the way you led the company, right? I mean, historically, I talked to CEOs of publicly traded companies. It's all about managing quarter by quarter. Right, you you got to manage to you know the the investors and the shareholders. So, did you see your management style change after you went public? Well, it, it definitely changes. Yeah, um, because you've you've got to make the quarterly numbers. Right, it's good to have a long term strategy. You have to have that. But if you're not making the numbers, you're probably not going to remain CEO for very long. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the other thing that was interesting, particularly after we went public, there was, you know, we were at $21 in August. There was then a little crash from about September till end of October of 1998. And our stock went down to like $4. Ooh. And everybody's going, what's wrong? What's going on? Well, nothing had changed. It's just the market conditions had changed. Right. And then we had a company called The Globe and Broadcast.com and I think eBay all went public in, in November of, of 1998. Stock shot up again and everybody's like, hey, everything's you know, back on track. Yeah. But what was interesting during those dot-com days was that when the stock was up, you could see the energy and people walking around the office. There was, you know, just energy. And if the stock was down, everybody's like, gosh, what's going on? What's mm. happening here? Yeah. And that is very difficult to manage overall. Yeah. yeah. So hindsight being 2020, um, I mean, obviously it, it had a happy ending and everybody was thrilled with it. <clears throat> but you said, you know, your goal was to take three companies, merge them into one and and have a profitable business where you would be able to lead the way you wanted to lead. Would, would you have changed anything knowing what you know today? <clears throat> well, yeah, I think I would have concentrated on being profitable sooner. And we had three companies that invested the $10 million, total of $10 million in us. And one of them was called Big Flower Holdings, the CEO of which was um, Ted Ammon, mm -hmm. who used to work at KKR. He's in Barbarians of the on the Gate. He was one of the, the bankers that took uh, Nabisco private for the first time, pr big private equity deal. So he he became our non-executive chairman. He had two other. Uh, um, Jack Rivkin was the man that led the investment. He worked at uh, Citibank, ran their venture fund. And then I had another um, head of a venture fund that was on the board. Mm -hmm. And their whole thing was, and even the analysts that were covering us, don't worry about profitability. Let's go out and get big. Yeah. We did 24 acquisitions mm. in in 36 months. Mm. I mean, it was it was incredible. And the stock market 
took off. We did a follow-on offering. We raised another $100 million. And by January of 2000, our stock price was $69. Mm-hmm. We had 1,200 employees in 52 offices in 29 countries. And remember, we started with about 40 employees with the merger of those three companies back in January of 1998. Yeah. We had a market capitalization of a billion eight. We were uh, cash break even in, in first quarter of 2000. I mean, life was, was good. Then NASDAQ peaked March of 2000. And our stock went down every single day for a very long time. So given my story about how energy equated with the higher stock price, you can imagine what happened. And and what what was occurring was that advertising that was coming our way was the product of a lot of dot coms that had gotten venture funding. Yeah. And the first thing they wanted to do was advertise. And about 90% of all our revenues were dot coms <laughs> that were advertising. And as they started going out of business, because when the capital market started closing down, people couldn't go public anymore. The venture guys weren't throwing money at any new idea. Yeah. So by fourth quarter of 2000, we had massive layoffs. I thought we were cutting very deeply, cut a third of the company, Mm. 400 employees out of 1,200. It was a really tough day. And in fourth quarter of 2000, we had our results included a write-off of of $750 million, Mm. mostly goodwill from uh, acquisitions we had done, um, and we were running out of money. And, of course, I thought I'd made history. We're having a loss of $750 million until in first quarter of of 2001, Enron broke, and that happened. (laughs) Enron said, hold my beer. (laughs) And by the end of 2001, our stock had gone from $69 to 15 cents. 15 cents. 15 cents. We had a market capitalization of $15 million as opposed to a billion eight. We had a going concern opinion from our auditors. We didn't have enough money to continue our business for the long term. Life had turned pretty ugly pretty quick. Mm. But fortunately, there were about eight significant events that occurred where, you know, the way I looked at this was, um, you know, the harder you work, uh, the luckier you get. Yep. We had a lot of all hands meetings. And I remember one of the guys telling me, he goes, you know, I know it's not the size of the fight in the, or the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of fighting the dog. And when the going gets tough, the tough get going, but you got to come up with some new material. <laughs> but we uh, persevered. We ended up raising some money from high net worth Japanese investors that, um, we uh, traveled to Japan to meet. We had had over 1,200 meetings, calls to, to raise money. Nobody was really interested. But we got that money in, and then the market started to turn around. Mm. We started getting better. And at the height of our 
uh, business, there were 17 analysts that were covering us. Wow. At the low, it was zero. Yeah. And when the business came back a little bit, I was invited to go to a dinner with a bunch of investors and other successful internet companies. And each CEO got to stand up for one minute and give a quick pitch on their company. And at that point, our stock was trading under dollar. And if you are under dollar for a certain period of time, you get delisted from NASDAQ. Right. We had to get that stock over a dollar for 10 business days to have the clock reset. So I got up and I said, you know, a lot of you wouldn't expect to see me here. And if you did see me here, you would think that I look pretty good. You would have thought I'd be have an arm in a sling and a bandage around my head based on all the uppercuts that I've taken from Wall Street over the last couple of years. I said, but we're here and we're coming back and nothing is going to stop us now. And we made that the, we put that on a sign and put it in every office that we had left. Nothing's going to stop us now. Next day, the stock jumped over a dollar. We put out press releases every day for 10 days about stuff, some of it powerful, some not so powerful. And the stock stayed over a dollar and we were, clock was reset. We continued to grow, get the company back in order because we weren't exactly a fine oiled machine after all that. And in uh, uh, July of 2007, uh, we sold the company to WPP for $649 million. Wow. So we never got back to that billion dollar eight market cap, but we had a very interesting journey along the way. And that's what I meant when I said this is like a graduate school, you know, case study of resiliency and commitment and discipline. Are you familiar with the Stockdale paradox? Do you know that? I've heard of it, yes. Yeah, yeah. so it's about Admiral James Stockdale. Jim Collins wrote in his book, Good to Great. And I, I will reference it periodically on my podcast, but it was Admiral Stockdale was a POW in the Vietnam War. And when he got out, uh, uh, Collins interviewed him in his book about his experience. And he said, you know, uh, you know, basically, who were the ones who didn't survive? And he said, oh, that's easy. The optimists, you know, they were the ones who said, oh, we'll be out by Thanksgiving. And when they weren't, they said, oh, we'll be out by Christmas. And, and then they weren't. And he said, eventually, they died of a, a broken heart. And yeah. he, he said, you know, he said, so how did you survive? And and uh, Stockdale's answer became the Stockdale paradox. And I'll, I'll, I know it almost by heart uh, because I had it written up on my wall when the pandemic hit. Like, I knew that the pandemic wasn't going to be two weeks. I knew it was going to be a lot longer and that we had to understand that things were going to I didn't realize it was going to be two to three years. You know, I thought it would be like, you know, six months. But Stockdale's the Stockdale paradox is this. It says you must you must never confuse faith, which you can't afford to lose, you know, that you will prevail in the end with the discipline that you need to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. And I really feel like you could update that and it would be the, the more paradox. Let me tell you, I think that's a very good paradox. I don't know if I can really 
add much more to it. But but I will tell you another story that involves your brother. Now he's our general counsel. So we're dealing with vendors want to get paid and we're having all kinds of issues. And and so his office was down the hall from me. I, I called, he, he didn't pick up. So I go down there, his door is closed. So I knock on the door and I open it up. And there are eight executives from 24-7 in his office. And what they're discussing is filing for bankruptcy. Mm. And I brought them all into the conference room. I said, listen, anybody that isn't going to fight this out until the end, the last day, is welcome to leave right now. We'll give you two weeks of severance. And, I, and by the way, that was part of the motivation for these guys because they wanted to get severance a lot more than two <laughs> weeks. Right? And I said, yeah. if you're not with me and going to take this to the wall to survive and, and make this company successful, then you don't belong here and I'm offering you the opportunity to leave. Now, nobody left immediately, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, a few of them went out and looked for other jobs and got yeah. them and that sort of thing. And but that leadership that you had, I, you must have been born with a lot of those, a lot of the skills and the qualities that you had. I think to prevail in uncharted waters the way you did, like you, 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 do you, can you point to a mentor or an advisor who said, Hey, Dave, if you come up on, you know, these situations, here's the best way to handle it. You know, you you can read a ton of books, you can talk to a lot of people, but at some point, you're left to your own devices on how you lead. You know, I, I'll tell you, uh, it's my parents. Mm, okay. Really, my parents. Now, everybody's had mentors, and and I certainly have, and 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 have benefited from them greatly. But nobody really tells you how to deal with this sort of thing. And and the simple, you know, principles I was taught as a young kid mm. was, you know, if you're going to do a job, do it well. Mm -hmm. And do a, finish the job that you start. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that was the way I was brought up. So it never occurred to me that I'm going to resign because – Going was a little too tough. I was always intent on making it successful and doing whatever I could. And that paradox that you mentioned is true. I mean, yeah. we were faced with some brutal facts and you, you, you couldn't make them look pretty. You just had to figure out how to improve upon them. So, the, you know, one of the elements that holds a company like yours together when you're going through the worst of times is the culture, right? It, so you you brought together, what did you say, 24 companies in 36 months? Right. How do you maintain, and, and you're going through the worst roller coaster ride that you ever signed up for, how do you how do you maintain a positive culture? How do you get people to stop looking at the stock price and start looking at each other to say, look, we're in this together? Well, listen, it was it was really tough. And particularly uh, these acquisitions were done with stock. Yeah. 
And so some of them, people got the stock right away. Some of them had to wait for it. Mm -hmm. And if they waited for it, stock was probably worth half of what it was when we bought them. Yeah. And those people, even employees, and we gave options to everybody, even the, the mailroom clerk got options. And when the options were worth a lot of money, you know, people were looking to buy this and do this and the other thing. And then they hadn't exercised them when the more, when the stock goes down to 15 cents or even well before that, options were worth nothing. Yeah. And some people could not, you know, they they could not get over that. Yeah. They ultimately had to leave the company because they just had so much resentment that here I had, you know, this big bag of money and it's gone. And, um, but it's a lesson, you know, unless you got the money in the bank, it's not real. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a good point. So let, let, let me try and give a couple of takeaways and there are a ton of them for our listeners. What do you think are some of the essential qualities that leaders today need? Because whereas it's not that wild west of the internet, we are still in this ever-evolving economy, it seems like, that it's uh, there's constant shifts. And you know now with the introduction of things like AI and the talk about how that will be as big, if not bigger, than the internet itself, and then expanding into having a global, you know, one economy where you can have customers anywhere around the world. For for people who run companies like your first one, right, that that was 40 employees, what are some of the essential qualities that good leaders need today in order to lead successfully? You know, honesty, mm -hmm. very important. Uh, integrity, very important. Um, I like open door policy. And I don't like, I mean, transparency. You have to position things sometimes, but, you know, for the most part, you, the, the way you position them has to be in a forthright manner that uh, doesn't make people feel like they're getting uh, misled. And, um, you know, I think enthusiasm, very important. Um, your 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 work ethic, I think, yeah. is important, too. As I said, leading by example, I continue. To yeah. Believe important. And, and some of the guys that weren't mentors, but were, you know, executives uh, that I looked up to. And I found myself imitating the way they talked or the words they used and mm. things of that nature. So um, you want to create a learning environment because I think if you are not learning regularly in your job, you're in a dead end, you should look for another one. And 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 reward people for performance. Yeah. Um, and and I think one of the things that executives are most guilty of is not making a change in personnel soon enough. Mm. And it's not easy to do. We're all compassionate people, or at least most of us are. And you want to give people chances. 
But if you're running an accountable organization, mm-hmm. nobody should ever be surprised if they are let go. They should know it well in advance. Yeah. And, and so um, I think having a performance-oriented organization involves accountability on a regular basis and is important because what gets measured gets done. That's a that's probably one of my favorite points in business is that what you just said, that accountability, you know, where we're going to measure things. We're going to hold people accountable. Uh, and, and if it doesn't happen, you know, you can work with people like, you know, that roller coaster ride you took. I think that, look, the stock's going to go up, the stock's going to go down, but we're you, you got to have that long-term vision for the company. You, you know you're going to go through choppy waters. And then as you're going through them, you said, remember, I told you, we're going to go through choppy waters, but we're going to come out on the other side. It's that vision of and, and being able to sell that vision that there is another side and it's a, it's a little bit smoother than what we're going through right now. For sure. It, yeah. So when you when you were going through uh, your when you were going through your career, did you have mentors or advisors that were outside your company? Like I know you, you talked uh, you, you talked to a lot of people, you know, within your company, you know, in, in collaboration. But did you have people outside that you could bounce stuff off of? I certainly had, you know, colleagues outside the business where we would commiserate industry <laughs> situation and things yeah. like that. I joined a, a, a group that had been started by Michael Milk. And at that time, it was called Tech, T-E-C. Mm-hmm. And they changed the name to Vistage. So maybe some of you have heard of it. And Vistage essentially was a group of CEOs that would get together once a month. They would have, bring in professional development speakers. We'd work on uh, CEOs' problems. Somebody in the group had this problem. We'd talk about it and and offer solutions. And it was run by a um, moderator who would visit with you once a month and talk to you about how you're spending your time, what's you know important going on, and so on and so forth. And that was. Um, a group that I participated in during the latter part of the meltdown and as we were coming back. And uh, I found that to be very, very helpful overall. And I I suspect there's uh, other groups like Vistage out there, and perhaps you do the same thing with some of your clients. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a couple of uh, friends who are Vistage chairs and, uh, yeah, I can't say enough about them. That's that's probably some of the best invested money that you can you can put into your business uh, because they'll hold you accountable. You know that that whole idea of accountability. When I ask somebody who holds you accountable, and they say, "Oh, well, I do. I hold myself accountable." All right, stop right there. Right? Yeah, you can grade your own homework. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're 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 gonna have to change that because you know. You're going to get knocked down and you're going to want to stay down and you're going to need somebody who can kind of pick you up by the shirt collar and, and uh, you know, get you, you know, kick you in the rear end and get you back going. Yes. Um, all right. We're, we're in the home stretch of, of this podcast and like all great podcast guests that I have, you know, I've got probably seven or eight questions that I still want to ask you. So 
I, I will ask you this. I would love to have you back on uh, later this year to ask you some of the questions that I didn't get to ask you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I talked too much. No, That's it's, it's fantastic. My, my listeners say, Brian, you talk less and let your guests talk more. And that will be the perfect mix. <laughs> um, what's your superpower? You know, every great CEO and leader has one. So what's yours? Uh, I was blessed with positivity. Okay. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I'm, I'm a happy guy for the most part. Even when I'm not happy, people think I am. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's a God-given gift. And I just uh, have that positive mental attitude uh, working for me that uh, has been a gift. I agree. I agree. Sometimes that can be the the difference, the single point of difference between winning and losing is that people buy into what you're saying to them because they see how enthusiastic you are about it. And as I like to say, you turn the disengaged into engaged and the ordinary into extraordinary. The people who are willing to work that extra hour, you know, make that extra phone call, send that extra email. You know, because they feel like there's going to be a return on investment for them because of the way you will run through the wall first. Right. That's that's a I agree. That's a great superpower to have. So. Um, all right. Last question. So you I know you've mentored entrepreneurs of growing companies and and other business owners. What do they come to you for? Like, what is it? Is it something technical? Like, oh, I got cash flow issues, or I've got sales issues, or I've got uh, HR issues, or is it more of the big picture? Like, like, where is this? Where do I want to go with this company? Yeah, I, I think it tends to be more of the big picture, but then you always get into some of the operational details mm -hmm. and that normally revolves around people always yes and so you know it starts a big picture gets into detail i get an awful lot of young kids out of college mm -hmm. parents send them to me you mm -hmm. know the kids still don't know what to do mm -hmm. so i've recruited i would say over 100 kids into the digital advertising business over you know last 20 years mm -hmm. i uh just you know the other day father said or a uh, uh, gentleman sent his son-in-law to me to to talk about his career and that sort of thing so uh the people have tended to find me i really haven't hung out a, a shingle or anything saying that <laughs> i'm happy to help but uh i i norm i usually am that's excellent well I will. Uh, I, I won't ask you for your contact information now, but if you want a way for people to connect with you, whether it's on social media or whatnot, you know, I'm happy to put that or a website. I can put it in the resource page. Yeah, I, I would say uh, I've never been on Facebook. I have no social media other than uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. So if anybody wants to reach me there, um, all right. I, I do look at it more than uh, once a week. All right, excellent. Then we'll 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 put that in the in the resource page. 
Dave, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your wisdom, your experience, and your fantastic stories. Have you ever thought about writing a book? You know, I have, and that's another story. <laughs> well, well, we'll save that for the next one. But uh, I think I think it's it's it would be a book worth reading because, and you could call it resilience, mm. right? Perseverance. Uh, and my favorite quote, by the way, yes. From Winston Churchill, and it's never give up. Never, ever give up. Yeah. That's who said, didn't he say, when you're going through hell, keep going? <laughs> yes. He's yeah. got a lot of good quotes. He, uh, all right. So, quick, have you seen the movie The Darkest Hour? Yes. With, with Gary Oldham, Oldman? Yes. Whatever. One of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. It really. Uh, it really was spectacular. So I love anything by Winston Churchill. Yes, yes. He's got so many great quotes. Fantastic. I'll put a couple of them in the resource page. Uh, Dave Moore, thank you so much for today, for all your shares. I'd love to have you back on, uh, and we'll get to part two and more of those stories. Uh, And to our listeners, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of the Small Business Edge podcast. You've been listening to Dave Moore, who's had a masterful, brilliant career in digital advertising and the tech space. So keep your feedback coming, keep your suggestions coming, and we will see you next week on another episode of the Small Business Edge podcast. And remember, never give up. Have a great day, everybody. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.